0: Hi, this is Steve Hargadon, and it's Wednesday, January 20, 20th, 2010. Welcome to the Future of Education. Tonight's a special night. We've got uh, Mike Lawrence, the Executive Director of Q here, co-hosting the show. Want to say hi, Mike?
1: Hi there. Thanks so much for uh, inviting me in to uh, co-host.
0: Absolutely. This is a lot of fun. This is an experiment, our first time trying this. but. We're kind of excited to showcase some of what's going to be taking place at Q. Um, our our guest tonight is Dave Eddyburn. Dave, have I said your last name correctly? Yes. So welcome, Dave. Dave's a spotlight speaker for the upcoming Q conference, and uh, and obviously has a history. Other than that, um, we'll, we'll have you introduce yourself in a minute. But before we do so, I'm going to go through some logistics. The first of which is to encourage you to come to QUnplugged.com and to learn about what we're doing at Q this year. This is an unconference that will take place during the Q conference. What it really means is if you haven't been accepted to speak at Q or there's something you'd like to talk about that has more, has come up in between the time of submitting proposals to speak and the actual conference, you can come to Q Unplugged at the show and actually sign up to talk. So uh, yes, and we're hosting EduBloggerCon West. I left a call for Marisol because I couldn't remember if we if we had decided to do it in the evening instead of that first day. But I'll, Mike, I'll let you talk about that in just a second. But uh, so Q Unplugged is a wiki where you can sign up and speak. If you've never spoken at a conference and you've always wanted a chance to do so, you get to speak at Q. You can come sign up. Uh, Future of Education is sponsored by Learn Central. This is my day job with Illuminate. It's a Social Educational Network, Social Network for Education, uh, with some great features including Illuminate Baked In, a lot of fun. Please come and join us there and uh, find out um, what we're doing. Also coming up on the show, uh, a neat few weeks of guests. Tomorrow night, uh, Mark Bauerlein on his book, The Dumbest Generation. Uh, January 26th, um, folks from the InnoCite, uh, group. This is the uh, Michael Horn, Clayton Christensen group, the Disrupting Class group. They're doing case studies on distance learning, uh, showcasing one on January 26th. On the 27th, Dan Coyle and his fascinating book, The Talent Code. Then January 29th to 31st, we're going to be broadcasting the EduCon conference. Should be a lot of fun. Kara Hunt on Wolfie Factor, James Paul G., Shell Israel, Lisa Gillis all coming up in February, Larry Johnson, Clay Shirky, you can read the list. Lots of fun. Dan Pink on the 17th um, should be a really fun set of events. If this is your first time in Illuminate, we want to make sure that you know how to participate, because Illuminate is a participative environment. I'm going to turn my um, little icons here, and you'll look for the little hand, so you can see what I'm showing you. This is the participant window. It allows you to see who's in the session. And right below it are some ways to interact immediately with emoticons. There's a clapping hand, a smiling face, thumbs down, or a confused look. We rarely see those, but you can click on those to let us know how you're feeling. To the left of those is a hand with a green up arrow. That's a way to raise your hand if you have a question for Dave tonight. Um, With a group of this size, you're certainly welcome to raise your hand at any time. If you think that you might like to do that and take the microphone, Do go up to Tools, Audio, and run the Audio Setup Wizard to make sure your mic is working well. This is the message box. It's uh, where you can send messages in the chat. Uh, Although it does give you the ability to send a message privately to another user, do know that Dave, Mike, and I all see that because uh, the moderator sees all messages. So just be aware that nothing's fully private. And then when you do take the microphone, if you want to ask a question, this is the microphone button. I hope you're seeing the hand around the same place where I think I'm putting it, Uh, and you push that button to turn it on and start talking. It's like a light switch, and then when you're done talking, you turn it off. And then over here on the whiteboard are some tools for uh, participating, and I'm going to give you permission to do so now. And this is your chance to let us know where you're listening from. Look for the wand with the red star at the end. Click on that, and then click on the map, and let us know where you're listening from. You can also shout out in the chat. where you are, what the temperature is. Gosh, do we really have someone from China on tonight? How fun. So normally, I don't say cold and rainy in California, but gosh, are we cold and rainy right now. So your mic is grayed out. You don't have a microphone pull or just unless you raise your hand and I give you the mic. So uh, and we'll do that when when it's um, Q&A time. So, few. I'm wondering if, if you're the one in China. So do let us know where you are. And then, Sue, you're not able to see this, but as a moderator, it looks like you may be having a connection issue, and you're welcome to use the teleconference bridge. If you look in the audio box, below the sliders to the right is a button you can push, and it gives you a telephone number to dial, a toll-free number you can call in, and it switches your audio to the the teleconference bridge that you can hear. Oh, Jim, that's you in China. How fun. Okay, so Mike, if it's okay with you, I'd like to give you a minute to talk a little bit about Q, the conference, one of my favorite conferences, um, something I look forward to each year. Uh, of course, tonight's show is is uh, based on uh, trying to uh, make people aware of the kind of fun things that happen at Q, uh, and Dave is, Dave burn is a spotlight speaker there. So, Mike, why don't you tell us a little bit about Q, and while you're at it, uh, let me know the time for a
1: Great, thanks so much, Steve. And uh, first off, if you if you don't hear it enough, I'm absolutely amazed every time I see it. The scope the scope of what you're doing you're a one man NPR for education. So. Uh, thank you for everything you do, and, and uh, I'm really excited about the lineup of speakers you've got lined up there. i, I gotta, I got to tune back in and just participate uh, in the coming months if I can carve out some time. Uh, that said, thank you again for uh, offering us this opportunity to help uh, get the word out about the Q Conference. Uh, Q, if you are familiar with it, stands for Computer Using Educators. We're a 32-year-old nonprofit educator association, and our focus is to advance student achievement through technology. And yes, 32 years ago there was technology that educators found valuable enough to form an organization around it. Um, So this year's conference is March 4th through 6th. It's held in Palm Springs every year for the last, uh, this will be our sixth year after returning to Palm Springs and prior to that we were there for about 12 years. Uh, It seems to be a very popular destination for educators and their spouses and families. So uh, we've got it scheduled out through 2014 which is exciting. Um, The conference spans three days traditionally, Thursday, Friday, Saturday is the core dates of the conference although things like the EduBloggerCon are typically scheduled on the Wednesday before and this year we also added a Q Festival on Wednesday night which is 5.30 to 8.30 uh, to celebrate the work of uh, student media creation. Uh, With regards to EduBloggerCon, I I suspect it's up to you and Marisol to hammer out the time. I'd I'd be open to any time. I would would, uh, suggest that you shoot for later though uh, rather than earlier just because it's tricky for folks to get in their cars and get out to Palm Springs from most of the driving areas. because it's uh, it's tricky to make it by that time. So I'd say perhaps one to four would be the earliest that I'd suggest. Uh, but it uh, looks like you've got some folks in the chat window that will be there for EduBloggerCon West, so that's great to hear. We'd love to have you guys in, and we're happy to host you. Uh, the focus, as I said, of, of Q is to advance student achievement through technology, and the way we do that most prominently is this conference. It typically draws uh, upwards of two to 3,000 attendees. Uh, back in 07, we had 3,100 attendees, and I suspect due to the budget, challenges many schools are facing. We saw a drop last year down to 2,500 attendees um, and we suspect we'll hover around that that number this year as well. Uh, But we're thrilled to be able to increase the offerings at the conference. We've done that every year and this year is no exception. Uh, One of the biggest additions that we have to the conference is our Inclusion of a what we call a diverse learners symposium, and it's con- it's a concurrent symposium within the conference. There is no extra fee to attend. Everyone who registers for the conference can go to the symposium, and uh, we invite everyone who's coming for the symposium to also come on over and attend the conference itself, uh, both the exhibit hall as well as the sessions and the keynotes and the other events as well. Um, we did this uh, for several reasons. One is, uh, for many years, I've seen I've seen it as odd that the educational technology community and the assistive and adaptive technology community rarely meet. They rarely connect and rarely work together. Uh, so it, actually in my previous work um, I worked for a county office and I was funded by a statewide EdTech uh, grant, well, I reached out to the assistive technology group at that office and said, why don't we put an event on together? I've got a little bit of money, let's let's fund something and so uh, I reached out then and that event still goes on this year, I think they're in their fifth year um, and that's called the Assistive Technology Institute and I thought, you know what, Q should really reach out to this community and we should find a way to find some great uh, connections between, between these two communities that have such similar goals and such similar missions. Um, So I went about researching a little bit and my research um, almost immediately took me to Dave Eddyburn, literally. I I walked up to uh, an area at the NEC conference last, uh, last June in D.C and basically asked the first person that approached me, so tell me what is universal design for learning and how is it different from assistive and adaptive technology and special education and help me understand this. And this this was Dave. And so we had a wonderful conversation and he helped frame it for me, hopefully as as we will do tonight. And uh, I immediately said, you know, this is an area that Q is sorely lacking in and we need to reach out to that community. So we went back. We had already picked a theme for the conference, Challenge the Present, Design the Future. And I said, we need to incorporate uh, universal design for learning. So let's come up with a way of incorporating that, not just in the conference, but also in the theme of the conference. And so we added the title, Tools for Universal Learning, as a way to capture uh, those ideas. Um, and we invited Dave to help us frame what the symposium would look like. We found some other leaders within that community to help us shape it and invite speakers. And they've done a great job uh, of doing so. Uh, Greg from San Bernardino County Office of Education and Amy Duncan from the same office. And from a, an organizations, organization that's called SELPA that's statewide. Uh, they've been really helpful in finding the, t- the key speakers to invite to participate and uh, we're really excited about that. And somewhere along the line we we thought, you know, if we can swing it, it'd be great to have Dave join us. And so we found a way to make it happen. We invited him out and he is a spotlight speaker uh, for the whole conference and it also helps draw attention to the uh, Diverse learners Symposium. So that's uh, the, the quick description. I'm sorry if it went a little longer than perhaps you were hoping, Steve, but that's the background behind why uh, we're doing this, why we're inviting Dave, and what we hope to accomplish with this first year in doing it. No, that
0: wasn't uh, too long at all. In fact, that was really the perfect introduction. So thanks, Mike. Uh, I do love Q. It's a great Conference and, um, and and I'm obviously going to be there and, and really enjoying meeting people there. Um, and so I hope you'll consider EduBloggerCon, which obvious which we think now will be from from one to four and and then hopefully in the evening uh, of the of Wednesday before Q, and then uh, look for us at uh, Q Unplugged as we experiment this first year and providing a venue for a uh, sort of an unconferency feel uh, during the conference. So Dave that was a great introduction of you. Uh do you want to before we sort of jump in and have you teach us like you taught Mike, do you want to tell us a little bit about your background?
2: Uh, sure. And again, thanks Mike and and Steve for the introduction. Um just simply I'm I'm a professor in uh, special education at the University of Wisconsin Milwaukee and uh, uh My background is is mild disabilities, and the topic we're going to talk about tonight is universal design for learning, and try to take what we've understood in the the last few years about assistive technology, where we we try to help individual students and yet deploy specialized tools to the whole class and and figure out ways that uh, we can support all students and and think more about uh, preventing student struggle uh, before they get into uh, uh, problems academically.
0: So, uh, Mike asked you to distinguish universal design from learning from from other kinds of um, phrases that we hear, like assistive technologies. Do you want to give us that distinction?
2: Uh, yeah, that's a that's a great question to start with because it, it is it kind of depends on where people are coming from. Um, those of us that have been working in special education, there's a long history of assistive technologies in schools, and I think most of us are familiar with things like wheelchairs and, and screen enlargers on computers for kids with uh, uh, visual impairments or uh, talking computers for individuals who are blind, um, and, and for the past 25 years or so, the the service delivery for assistive technology in schools is based on a referral and then a team evaluation and then uh, kind of an individual problem solving of what technology tools might overcome the difficulty and kind of level the playing field for that individual. And and so historically, um, assistive technology has really been associated with um, the low incidence disabilities of of physical disabilities, sensory disabilities like uh, um, vision and hearing. And uh, to a lesser extent, we've not attended to the issue of cognitive disabilities, which uh, in some cases involves mental retardation or and or uh, uh, learning disabilities. And so kind of late to the game is the notion of how does assistive technology support cognitive performance? And, and in this domain, we, we start to look at reading and thinking and problem solving, very pervasive kinds of disabilities that trip students every single hour. And so, um this kind of lays the foundation for for universal design for learning and that notion of what is it that we know about uh, human differences, and then how do we anticipate that those differences proactively so we we build in supports in the environment
0: So this is a new topic for me, but you gave me uh, you actually sent an article uh, along to me about this, and um, uh, if I'm not if i if i'm if i read correctly universal design from learning uh, actually came from um looking at what was taking place in architecture
2: uh, yes that's that is correct
0: and so uh do you, do you want to describe what that was and then uh, you know again I don't want to tell the story for you because because I don't know it nearly as well as you but it does seem that uh that in addition to addressing specific issues there's this feeling that in both cases there's a general benefit to all.
2: Yes. Um let me see if I can bring up a, an image for us um to to kind of make this a little more concrete. Um, in in the built environment, uh, like architecture, um, one of the, uh, the initial applications to universal design um, was something known as curb cuts, and uh, I've tried sharing my desktop. I'm not sure if everybody can see it.
0: I can see it. If okay. you can't see Dave's desktop, go ahead and give us a red X. So we know we can help you, but otherwise we're hoping that you can see it. And you can move that that screen around, and you can actually resize it.
2: Okay. Well, th- this will be useful then. And um, it, it, one of the, the first examples of universal design in, in what's called the built environment is in the picture there on the left. And it's an individual wheelchair crossing a, a street uh, it, it, where the um, the curb has been cut away into a kind of a, a gradual ramp. And these are referred to as curb cuts. And one of the things that we learned is that that was a designed uh, intervention for helping people with wheelchairs navigate their communities. but but what we learned from that process in the 1960s was it, that design actually made it better for everyone. And, and so people, uh, uh, parents with baby buggies, uh, children on, on uh, bicycles or rollerblades, uh, people pushing a, or pulling a wagon, um, also benefited from that design. And and so what that led us to is the understanding that that good design for people with disabilities could be good for everyone. And and that's kind of become a mantra that we now try to understand what is it about special needs that really has a a more generalized application. And so um, as Steve just inferred and and led us into the conversation is that that really was uh, in the architectural area. Those of you that are participating in the webinar uh, that might be middle-aged and are dealing with aging parents, Um, one of the the new emphases around the country is um, universal design in the home, And, and really the home remodeling industry has really taken universal design to heart. As, as what they try to, to sell you is modifying your home uh, while you have all this discretionary income um, to, to make it more accessible as we age. Because uh, we know that, that many uh, older adults are more comfortable in their home. And if we can make them more independent and successful and stay there longer, that that usually produces better outcomes than uh, going to nursing homes or assisted care facilities. So uh, again, all of this is grounded in trying to understand differences and then building an environment that, that makes it more more accessible and useful for all
0: so can you give us an example of where where we might sort of um, see this taking effect in education
2: uh, taking effect in where
0: I'm sorry in, in the educational environment
2: um sure um, i th- I think in many cases um, anyone that's currently involved in schools know how knows how diverse our classrooms uh, are. And, and one of the, the problems w- for teachers is that if we don't anticipate the diversity um, it, it can be very difficult to, to meet a special need. And so uh, what happens is that's often referred to as a uh, an accommodation, is that um, not anticipating diversity and, and having a special need uh, that we didn't anticipate creates a a, a challenge. And so One of the applications for teachers here is if if I, we're talking about tonight this universal design idea and and kind of advocating for more accessible thinking and, and what I will argue is proactively Valuing differences, um, if I have a, a blind student in my class and I didn't know that, uh, I come to class with my print materials, all of a sudden I, I've created a need for an accommodation. I must send my paper material somewhere to be brailled or uh, digitized so that it could be put on the computer and spoken. and And so we create this gap of an kind of an unequal, inequitable educational system. Uh, because if you have a special need, you, you can't get the same education at the same time as, as someone else. Uh, this might also apply to reading. Um, many Very often students with learning disabilities come to class not reading at grade level, and in fact maybe many grades below uh, grade level, and yet we pass out textbooks that are at grade level or above and expect them to be able to read and process that information. And, and so what happens is we, we instantly create an accommodation need because the the curriculum isn't accessible. Um, In the world we're going to talk about tonight, trying to invent a a universally designed curriculum, a universally designed uh, classroom, Uh, we paint a picture here where accessibility is built in and we just have to access it or turn it on or take advantage of the features. And, And so what the wave in this graphic shows is how our time and energy is spent differentially um, and you can see the advantage of, of having a universally designed world is that, that 80 to 90 percent of materials would be accessible right from the beginning with just a small need for accommodation and just maybe a little need for advocacy to, to highlight those needs. So that, that's kind of a conceptual framework. I'm not sure if that really helps you, Steve. I, I, I would like to move into some examples of what it might look like because we're kind of been talking maybe a little theoretical. But let me stop and see if you have a question or comment about that.
0: No, that's really helpful, and I would love to see some examples. Um, and uh, last night I interviewed Yang Zhao, who, who uh, wrote a book called uh, "Catching Up or Leading the Way," a, a very interesting book about American education from the perspective of someone who'd come from China. And uh, we, you know, we talked at length about the the sort of the NCLB environment. And the expectations, sort of standardized expectations. Do you see a connection between universal design for learning and the, uh, sort of the message that NCLB um, really um, doesn't address a lot of students' individual needs?
2: Well, you know, you're right on tar- target connecting that dot because that that really is part of the national motivation and interest right now in universal design for learning is that. That we're all being held accountable to increase student achievement, and and a lot of people get enamored with the technology, and you'll see some examples when I show you, you're like. You know, wow, and that that really does help me address diverse learners. But but really, it's we we have to start addressing the diverse learners. And part of No Child Left Behind is the AYP, Adequate Yearly Progress. And and many of the schools and states that are not making it, um, it, it typically it's because of students with disabilities, but also the, the other three groups are, are students of color, uh, students of poverty, and English language learners. And and, and right now, about Uh, about two-thirds of the districts in the country right now are not making AYP and and so when you have that kind of evidence what it it tells you very clearly is what we're doing now is, is not successful for for certain groups of students, and we, ne- we really need to, to take the mandate of the law and rethink our practice, and, and because of that, the, the schools and the leaders that are doing that, uh, UDL is a very timely uh, intervention, it, it's very compatible with that commitment, and uh, it gives a lot of us the how-to that we need, and, and for the Q audience, it's, it's clearly grounded in technology, and, and so it offers us some things we didn't have traditionally in our instructional toolkit.
0: Yeah, I think Peggy was on the show and we and uh and Peggy George who's in the audience tonight and and one of the things that Young says in his book that we didn't talk about in the interview but which we brought up in the, sort of the post show was that one of the great things he sees about American education is its ability to address diversity and to support um, um diverse accomplishment and in diverse individuals. Uh, so certainly uh um think that your um you're adding something significant to the conversation here. So do you want to go ahead and show, us, show us some examples? You've got a site pulled up.
2: I, I do have a site pulled up. And hopefully, I can step you through a couple of these, kind of give you a flavor of what it is. And is. Um, I'll, I'll give you a formal definition of universal design for learning before we, we leave tonight. But, but a shorthand right now is, is I think it's, it involves proactively valuing differences. And so that I understand that I will have diverse students coming in through the door. And because of that, my classroom and my instruction will be different. So here's an example from early childhood that has a you know, very appropriate level of early childhood curriculum. But notice the bars up here where I can now access these in uh, different languages. Okay? And, and so right now, I have four languages that I can support early learners. And then when you go in and you look at, uh, I'm not sure if the audio came through, but it, it said the letter A. And, and what I do is I simply interact with my my page, and so this is exploratory learning, there's no right or wrong answer, but I can get more instructional by picking a different level.
0: So and we're on, on a web tour here, Dave, so yes. if, if if we, uh, what we're actually seeing is a, uh, we're seeing, uh, we've been taken to the same site, we, to hear that sound, are you clicking on the actual letter A? Yes. Okay, um, so we can do that on our end, too, so those of you who are listening, if you actually want to interact in that same way, you can click on it and you should hear it through your speakers.
2: Yeah. And Steve did the um URL come up in the chat window?
0: Um I don't know that I actually put it in there but I've put it in now.
2: Okay. Um, so my point here is that um, what you've got is an example of a developmentally appropriate curriculum with developmentally appropriate activities to interact, one, just exploratory play, but two, very uh, when we get up to five, it's a very directive in asking us to pick a certain letter and do things. But, but the idea here is that here's a, here's a tool that we could use in a learning center in the preschool classroom. Here's a tool we can give to parents uh, that they can do with their child at home. And, and it's got these built-in supports. You saw uh, direction. You heard audio. You've got uh, tiered activities, and you've got the multilingual. And so so what this is saying to a community, if, you, if you're using this, is that, yes, we may not have every language we need, but it, it's a step in the right direction. And so this is, um, I, I think, a good example to try and say, what do principles look like in practice? And and that's one I like a lot. Um, I'm going to grab another URL and bring up another window here. and. Uh, this next site is called uh, Windows to the Universe. And it's uh, kind of uh a, a, a exploratory of space and, and planets. And obviously, it could be used in science and in different different ways. Um, I wanted to say it was for middle school. But really, it goes beyond that. So let me kind of navigate in. Um, and, and I'm navigating through some menus. And I'm going to pick a topic. And, and ultimately, when I drill down to the topic that I'm interested in. Um, Uh, We're going to get a,
3: whoops, wonder what happened there.
0: I wasn't able to see what happened. Did you get taken back to the homepage somehow?
2: Yeah, it kind of maybe kicked us back or maybe something I did, but let me try this again. Here we go. Once we, we drill down, we get a page of some amount of text and a graphic and, and something. But I want to bring to your attention here the, the, the three bars at the top. And it it drops us on the intermediate page. But if I click on the Advanced tab, it typically will present us with similar information in a smaller font. And on many pages, it, it puts more information in that same space. If I click on the beginner, uh, it usually uses a bigger font and removes, now, this particular page, it was pretty comparable. But but the idea here is is by tiering these web pages, we're asking the students to go in and find out which page is just right for them. If I don't know a lot about the topic or I'm not very interested, I can go to the beginner page get the core information. But, you know, if I know I want to major in this in college, I can go to the advanced page and have lots of resources to do this. So again, the, the notion of tiering curriculum is a very exciting way of trying to support students. Uh, because. So what we do control in classrooms is time. With a fixed amount of time, uh, we're not going to be able to get everybody to high performance. So we may have to make some adjustments to the curriculum. Um, The other interesting thing about this website is notice the sun over here and the the real-time multilingual translation is that any page can be toggled to uh, uh, Spanish or back to English. And so again, here's another commitment to diverse learners, because we we are presenting them with a multilingual curriculum, and then just giving them the choice to toggle back for whichever primary language is, is most helpful. Um, I find this to be a very inspirational example and, and one of the things I'll talk about at the Q conference is, is a tool we've been working on and, and hope to have available uh, later this year commercially that will allow teachers to make uh, accessible tiered talking multilingual uh, web pages to kind of use this principle in, in a way of customizing curriculum for their classroom. Um, ooh, I shouldn't have closed that page. Um, next up is... Um, is a website um, that allows us to um, to deal with the accommodation that we were just talking about and so let me see if I can actually go back and get us some text here
3: Um, Did you mean to close
2: that tour down? Not quite yet, I was, I was hoping to toggle both of them. So let me just see if I can, just need a little piece of text here to copy into our w um, We talked earlier about the, the model that I showed you about text that wasn't accessible. Um, one of the drawbacks to this Windows to the Universe site is that there is no audio. So here's an example of tonight as we learn the um, learn about the principles of universal design for learning. And um, oh, very cool. I guess I did lose my uh,
3: my voice me site.
0: Yeah, you can only bring up one web tour window at a time where you're trying to have two going.
2: All right, well, tell you what. Um,
0: Should I have warned you about that? Because you, you can't open a desktop share at the same time and have the web tour and the desktop share both open. them. Well,
2: let me just type in, um, enter some text here. I, what I was hoping to do is to take some text off um, from the last uh, web page we were on. But uh, here's an example of a combination. That Voice me is, is a web-based tool that, that allows you to have speech. And so for a student that was on that Windows to the Universe site and couldn't read it independently, one of the things we can do is to teach them to copy and paste. And so they come in here, and then they can uh, uh, paste it here. And what this will do is it will generate
0: So we're not going to be able to see that anyway because uh, the web tour opens up for each of us individually. Okay. So um, you, uh, although we won't get the sound, if you want to do this in the desktop share, you're welcome to. But I think we understand entering the text in here actually allows okay. the creation of um, of an audio file.
2: And an audio file. And they can listen to it right on the computer, or the, the, the key point here is that they save it to an MP3 and they can have it. But, but here's one of the design tools of how we could, uh, in an accommodation model, uh, Provide text-to-speech for any student that that might struggle.
0: So I, I have the impression that this is uh, not an uh, an unsubstantial, insubstantial undertaking. Uh, that the, the act of designing uh, in this way re- requires a fair amount of foresight and thought. I'm also getting the impression that that having done so, you probably get a fair, you probably have the opportunity to get a fair amount of data back. About what's actually getting used, does that end up creating um, a really valuable sort of feedback loop in, in determining uh, how to best help students?
2: But you know, Steve, you, you've offered two key insights. One, one is that yes, this is. A time-intensive task for teachers, and, and there's some discussion in the profession whether whether teachers really have the time on a daily basis to do all of this, or whether we really need to back up and, and really get it at the at the product design, the curriculum design level, and implement these kinds of things there, so it's it's more uh, 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 ready to play and, and ready to use out of the box. Um, the second idea about data is also. Part Problematic because right now, as universal design for learning was originally characterized, uh, there was nothing about uh, student performance data collection, and so that's going to be one of the, the things I'm most concerned about—that uh, is going to hold the future back for this construct because we're going to need some evidence that it works, that that we know students struggle, but to. to Make an argument that this approach is better or helps. Uh, we're going to have to get a way to uh, define the construct, define the interventions, and then measure the outcome.
1: You know, this is this is interesting and very exciting. And I, I just wanted to jump in because you know what it reminds me of is it's it's something that's awfully ahead of its time. And it reminds me of when we started seeing video played on the web, and this was before the days of broadband. This is before the days of YouTube, and It was very, very difficult and you essentially had to know somebody who was very savvy on these tools to be able to host video on the web and share it with any sort of ability to an audience, a broad audience. And then you fast forward five or six or seven years and now we see uh, a YouTube environment and all these places where it's very simple to share video and in fact it will, there's tools now that do something called transcoding that when you upload a video it automatically, you know, in the background will convert it into three or four or five different versions based on the the user's available bandwidth. So, in, in many ways, it reminds me of, of what you're describing in terms of universal design for learning because it's dependent upon what the client person, the person visiting the website shows up with, you know, how much of a bandwidth do they have, how fast a processor do they have, what sort of machine do they use that determines what version of that video would show up and play for them, and it would be the one most suitable for their particular environment yeah and so it, it reminds me a lot of that sort of i know I apologize for using the geeky techie example, but that's that's essentially yeah. what it reminds me of is is a perfect uh you know clarification for the user that right. provides it at the best level they're available to see
2: you you, you, you again you've you've connected some dots here uh, because some people are contextualizing this as personalized learning. that that again based on my learning profile that how I interact with my curriculum could be uh, manipulated. Uh, It also precedes and foreshadows many of the discussions about pedagogical agents in, in the sense that, OK, if you need tutoring, we could load uh, different, uh, not only characters, but, but different scripts based on the kind of intervention you need. Some of us just need to be told or, or to highlight an error, or some of us need step-by-step guidance. And so we could develop those over time based on our learning profile. But all of our conversation tonight is raising the, the need for much more conversation about diversity and and academic diversity in in ways because uh, historically we've responded by going slower you know, which doesn't help achieve high standards. Uh, or we've we've responded by giving you different curricula, which, again, doesn't help everybody master the general curriculum if we're slicing and dicing and moving people out of classrooms and, and giving them alternatives. So um, there's clearly, you know, UDL is about 10 years old. There's there's clearly much work to be done. But um, I, I would agree with you. It's a very exciting time as you think about this and, and potentially, the power
0: of these tools. Dave, are there success stories that you point to Uh, When people ask if it's really necessary to do this, do you have uh, places where you send people and say, look here, because you can see that it's really made a difference in this particular circumstance?
2: Yeah. Um, I I think there's a lot of this going on. I'm going to bring up the website of the uh, National Center on Universal Design for Learning. And uh, this was just established in November uh, of this past year, so uh, just kind of in the startup mode. But uh, one of the things as the site loads is uh, they've been trying to create uh, resources either about you know, just getting started or about um, scaling this beyond an individual classroom to kind of the, the school level or the district level. Uh, several states have been involved. Uh, you'll see here next to the picture uh, they're spotlighting a, a school district in uh, in Indi- uh, Central Indiana that I've worked with um, and and how their state has had a statewide initiative uh, trying to implement UDL uh, it, by bringing teams together of general and special ed uh, technology curriculum directors. And and kind of um, one of the things I'll add ask the audience uh, that's with us tonight if they've had experience with UDL is, Um, There are many ways to bring people to the table. Some districts are using uh, the umbrella called differentiated instruction as a way of trying to understand student differences and and breaking teachers out of the one size fits all. Other people believe the UDL might be the big umbrella. And my point is that either one works, but in both cases uh, it's a big umbrella that has plenty of room for everybody to come and kind of contribute our best thinking about how to do this. But I, I think it all starts with a commitment to diversity. And uh, yes, uh, there are some examples here as as well as if people want to email me afterwards, I can uh, point out. But what CAST has tried to do here on this website is to provide links and videos and share resources uh, of what model projects are doing around the country as well as Canada.
1: Dave, this is Mike again. I have I've had some recent inquiries from the gifted community and gifted educators, and I'm wondering what connections you've been able to draw. Has the gifted community really adopted UDL as their own? Because it would seem to me well adapted to that particular challenge: is how to how to engage the gifted student. Is that something that's uh, that's already well underway, or is that something that you're still sort of struggling with as to how to how to engage those two communities?
2: I'm not aware of much in the area of UDL and gifted. It has considerable attraction because anytime we break out of the one-size-fits-all. But, but in gifted education, one of the things they've contributed to UDL is this notion of differentiation. And so I do believe differentiated instruction and UDL are kind of. Uh, two trains on the same track. That it depends on which way you're going, which one you might use. But, but both are compatible. Um, my, my personal concern about differentiated instruction is that very seldom in those conversations, is technology a critical factor. Where I, I think too often in UDL, technology becomes an overriding factor, and, and oftentimes it's anybody using anything Web 2.0 is oh you must be doing UDL. And, and so I'm not quite sure that's correct. But but I, I do think that that people are versed in either t- of these topics. Have much to contribute, and then those of us that are working in both areas I, I think there's a hybrid of these concepts and practices that that make this very doable
0: Dave, why would people think that the use of web 2.0 meant uh, the instructors were using UDl
2: um, I, I think because of the um, the considerable emphasis in um, uh, UDL about technology. And, and so that that it, it kind of becomes, it obscures the mech, message that it, it's about helping diverse students achieve. Um, and, and so we get caught up, and particularly those of us that are advocating this, we, if we come from a technology background, you know, that just kind of rises to the top. And and uh, I'm very concerned that we may not achieve some of our goals unless we really go back to studying and creating diversity blueprints, that we, we start talking about differences that are, that are meaningful um, and, and find ways to, uh, to design instruction to, to meet those needs.
0: Was there anybody, is there anybody in the uh, audience tonight who was on the session last night who's seen this connection with um, Young Zhao's material? Um, Am, am I putting words into his mouth, or, or in fact, um, is this diversity message uh, there in both cases? Very fascinating to me. Okay, so um,
3: uh, where would you like to go next?
2: Um, I guess I'm trying to open up one more um, one more uh, resource for you, and let me just try a different way.
3: See if I can open up an Acrobat
2: and then do my proper share. Yeah,
0: Yeah. if you open an Acrobat, you should be able to then do a desktop share.
2: Here we go. Here's a graphic um, that that really impacts my thinking and and is very compatible with what you were just talking about. Um, In the back of Caroline Tomlinson's book on differentiated instruction, she does have a set of... of, um, what she calls equalizers. And I like the slang sliders. But but the notion, she argues, that as we think about uh, children's education, preschool education is very concrete. We have kids dealing with manipulatives, you know color balls and, and things but as we go through the K-12 curriculum it gets far more abstract and and what she puts forth is would it be interesting to differentiate on this variable of knowledge representation and and special ed teachers this is very often what we do is that if a child doesn't understand fractions we immediately back up and start talking about pizza to, to make it more concrete but, but the technology application for those of us uh, gathered tonight is what if we made a slider like this and built it into the software so that what the student interacted with with and, and was presented with with the curriculum was changed by moving that slider and, and and we can talk about other sliders in terms of amount of structure of the activity or how independent, how fast, how slow, obviously reading levels and, and all sorts of things that, that could make this kind of that personalized uh, learning environment. But the the bottom line of doing all this is, is we've got to figure out ways to engage students where they're at and get them to the achievement level that we're seeking. And so this is kind of conceptual, but, but I think it's an excellent bridge between uh, Tomlinson's differentiated instruction and the technology uh, overlay that we could offer through UDL and and again I don't know that we're going to make these advances unless we think more deeply about the nature of curriculum and about the nature of student differences and about the kind of performance outcomes we'd like.
0: So am I hearing you correctly if if I were to state that uh, UDL is not necessarily about technology but the technology holds the potential to substantially allow us to do some things in this area.
2: Yes, I, I you know, I'm concerned that um, there's some things out there that are saying, you know, UDL is just good teaching, and 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 I don't support that view because I think. Um, If that's the case, we would have had this a long time ago. I think what makes UDL interesting now and relevant is that we have technology tools, that there's uh, new understandings about um, how the brain works, uh, new appreciation for diversity, and and new technologies that when we harness these things together, uh, we have new opportunities for learning. I guess my concluding comment is kind of back where we started about how do you learn more and how do you get started in this UDL? And, and uh, this last link that I'm sharing is um, kind of what's considered the Bible for Universal Design for Learning. It's a, uh, The complete book is online, it's accessible through the web, you can also purchase a print copy. But, but it's an interesting way to interact uh, when this was published. Um, we, people actually thought this was kind of a UDL book, but uh, you, you can manipulate how you go through it uh, and see the full content if you'd like. Uh, see the concept map as we saw on the first page but um, I think this is an excellent place to start in terms of getting a a group of teachers or a school district or even just a committee uh, to start I wonder if I went outside the lines maybe that was my problem Um, to to get them started about um,
3: to, to learn more about Universal Design
2: for Learning
0: so did that screen close down without you wanting it to? or yes. I got actually got an I got an error message when you went to one page, and it yeah. looked as though yeah. Uh, okay, you know, so now I'm back. I'm seeing the um, I am seeing the the cover, of the purchase of this yeah. book, and then the table of contents.
2: Well, it's just, um, again, this is kind of a, a good beginning way. I think it's important that we have groups read this, discuss it, and, and kind of decide do we do we believe this? I think what to me is so powerful is this notion of teaching every student in the digital age and, and how do we apply. I think um, one of the challenges after you read this book is is operationalizing the, the principles. But again, that'll be the focus of our, our session at the Q conference. But um, it, it, I think it's a very important message for educators of all type that are are interested in about ways to... Uh, enhanced student performance and I think uh, as we've been talking when when these concepts are married with other initiatives like differentiated instruction and and uh, liberally sampling from assistive technologies I I think we can begin to talk about um, what's that infrastructure what's our commitment to diverse students.
0: Dave are there uh, places where this conversation is taking place are there is there a network um, an educational network? Or does anybody know if there's a NING network or a social network around the the topic of UDL?
2: Yeah, there are a number of them. Um, I put up a slide earlier. And let me just take you back there, because it it is so useful. Um, There's a blog uh, that's called Teaching Every Student. Um, And again, um, there are posts and there's open comments. Um, There are a couple NINGS out there. Uh, part of extracting resources from the blog have been archived on this wiki about a, a technology toolkit for UDL, and I think this website to me is an excellent companion to the book we were just looking at because this gives us tools, and and you've already got the philosophy, and, and so when you put the fl- the tools and the and the strategies together, uh, you can really begin to kind of implement this either at an individual classroom level or at a department level, uh, and again with proper administrative support at the at the district level, school level.
0: Well good, so this is a good time to um, to shift a little to the Q&A. Um, you, you did say at the beginning that you were going to give us a more formal definition. Did you, have you already done that or did you want to actually give us that more formal definition?
2: Um, the, the formal definition uh, would be in the, um, the Teaching Every Student book. Uh, CAST is um, Clearly, the the national authority on that and kind of the national repository. So, I think uh, by starting with their book, teaching every student, as well as visiting the UDL center, uh, you'll you'll get more detailed and and kind of formal definitions. Now I've lost audio. Well, am I still here?
1: So
3: I'm. Can you hear me now?
1: I can hear you. I think um, I think we're still on.
3: Okay. Well, um,
2: should we go to Q&A? I wasn't able to really monitor the chat uh, window uh, while we were talking, so maybe you have some questions that came in, or this will be the time to open it up.
1: Yeah, I think that'd be great. It looks like just Steve lost audio. We've got a question. Uh, One person's raising their hand, and uh, we'll see if we can go to... uh, Is it Fayo, you've got a question? Is your microphone working now? Looks like it's still great for fail. we also have a question um oh, it looks like it got uh, dropped, but uh fail let me see if I can give you microphone capability here.
4: yeah, you did great, thanks so much um you haven't mentioned much about learning styles teaching styles um that's one of one of the big approaches to u d l that I've used in the past um are you just focusing tonight more on the technical, or do you also include uh, kind of the, the softer skills of learning styles and teaching styles?
2: Uh, that's a great question. Um, it, it is a bit controversial um, that some people will say that that is part of your DL, and others will will say it's not. And so uh, I, I don't really have a good answer for you. Uh, I, I, I think the, the people that argue against it uh, um, I won't say they're looking for teacher proof, but they're they're looking for more design evidence and interventions uh, before it gets to the classroom as opposed to the softer skills of, of learning styles. But, but clearly, I think there's a science here that we, we need to make part of the conversation. Because you know, some of these, these choices we give students, like if you change the font size or you have audio by male or female, some of these are preferences that the research probably won't support strongly one way or another, which, which again, then if we don't have clear evidence, we ought to put that control back, back into the students' hands. Um, the slider I showed you, it's kind of interesting about whether that becomes a teacher control panel or, or whether the learner should have access to a thing like that, to kind of like what we saw in Windows to the Universe, that I can choose to go to a lower level to get the information. Um, and so there's some interesting things we need to figure out here about uh, the teacher-learner interaction and where that control goes as we build in these supports.
3: I'm sorry to have uh, dropped off there for a minute. Uh,
0: there was something about that one particular tool tech toolkit web page that uh slowed everything down on my machine um so, so I apologize for missing that are there um there is some chat in the uh, there's some chat going on about Dan Willingham, who was a guest recently who sort of argues against um learning styles but I, to me it seems different and I don't know Peggy, if you wanted to comment on that as well, but I definitely feel like there's a difference um
3: in the two discussions. Are there any other questions uh, this is, we, we do have a few minutes left if anybody wants to ask Dave uh, a question, drill down on anything in particular I
1: was just going to throw out the uh, and I know you touched on it briefly, but it seems like it uh, the whole concept of UDL screams for an an advancement in assessment tools and and an, and ways of testing student understanding. Uh, we already know just from the way that kids learn that we're way behind on having the adequate testing mechanisms to understand if they've really gotten a concept or not. And this just seems to really leap out and show us where the assessments, even that we're imagining, are still falling short of the mark. Uh, would you agree with that assessment? Do you have any, is there any sort of direction that UDL is pointing us in terms of how to advance assessments to, to address that?
2: Yes, um, you're, you know, again, that's another one of the dots that you, you've helped connect here in the conversation. Is um, much of the research that is going on about universal design is going on in the arena of UD assessment, and and all of the large assessment companies have developed uh, UD principles that guide their development efforts. Now, we can't always get to them because most of them are proprietary, but there there is a national set I can I could share with you if you're interested, but but it has a prof- had a profound impact on uh, testing. In the development now, I think where the the nexus is is approaching is is with kind of a netbook implementation because if we can develop a computer-based uh, uh, branching um, uh, assessment um, and deliver it on a on a computer such as a netbook, then then we're a generation ahead of where we are now in terms of one getting a, a better picture of what students' performance is with different supports turned on and or off, and so. Um, Again, lots of resources, and I'd be happy to, if you want to follow up, I, I can get your reading list to get you started, because uh, I, I have to say that the research in that area is very inspiring in terms of trying to, to get quantifiable evidence about the difference of uh, different interventions make on student performance.
1: Yeah, I think I would be interested, and specifically, I think uh, Q members and the readers of the OnQ Journal might be. So it could be something that we'll follow up later on, Dave, and see if there might be a way we could get a feature in the uh, in an upcoming journal that uh, could point folks in that direction. Because I know that in California, it's a
2: hugely
1: hot topic
0: yeah, in yeah. terms of assessment.
2: And you know what I, what I find interesting is why that has taken off, but I also think it's maybe because there's another, the assessment industry, whereas the publishers have been a little slow to respond because a, a lot of what we're talking about is digital curriculum, which has kind of stymied some publishers uh, up till now. So uh, it's kind of interesting to observe that disconnect.
0: Dave, is there a connection between the work that, that's done in gaming and creating games in such a way as to uh, draw users in and universal design for learning? Yes.
2: Yeah, I, I personally I, I believe so. And again, um, the gaming uh, community is becoming uh, much clearer about principles and practices as they understand what engages a child to sit for an hour and work through multiple levels. And and I find that literature very inspiring as we try to think about digital materials that that are engaging and interactive and not just PDF rep, uh, reproductions of, of their print material they have now. So uh, you know, again, I, I, this this opportunity to connect dots is is this a still a fledgling field. And I think there's there's lots of room to bring in science from other areas that, that apply to these these problems.
0: Theo, did you want to take the mic again You raise your hand?
4: Yeah, thank you. I teach at a community college and I would say that the percent of my students that are most challenged and you need UDL have no access to computers. Um, and we're focusing on the, the digital and the technical tonight. And um, I've bookmarked the other UDL sites, but uh, we still have to remember that the majority of our students that need the most help are those who have the least resources for the technological and or the, and/or digital.
2: I think you know that that's a great point that that often is overlooked as we we go into these discussions and uh, something I'll I'll talk about at the conference in Palm Springs is is the the digital equity question is that um, uh, there is there's a lifetime cost to low achievement uh, both in terms of unfulfilled potential and unemployment underemployment interactions with Department of Corrections etc and so uh, Research can be convincing in certain levels to to say we need to invest in this, but but there's another functional level in special education that we talk about as a free appropriate public education, and and I'm particularly concerned when when students uh, are not demonstrating performance at an AYP level that that the district doesn't have a defense that they're providing a free appropriate public education and so one of the questions that we have to ask is what is our commitment to our lowest performing students and and if these tools are available and, and empower and scaffold performance uh why are we withholding uh, you know the technology and now this may become a moot point here with the price point of of netbooks um, and again, it doesn't, that's not an immediate answer for class tomorrow, but my sense here is that when students f- have these tools, they are very empowered because they've never had that sense of independence and success in traditional print environments. And so I, I think this is a very important conversation to have about what is our commitment. We say we want all students to achieve grade level standards, but, but are we supporting it with uh, kind of the tools and resources that, that would allow them to do that?
0: So, Dave, I'm going to clap for you here, because I think you've done a terrific job, and I'm I'm personally going to look forward to connecting with you at Q. I, I want to remember to connect you with Larry Ferlazzo, and if you don't know Larry yet, he's uh, in California and has done a lot of work with uh, providing computers for, for low-income families, and um, I think there's going to be, you're going to find a connection there as well. But what a great uh, introduction to this topic, and I sure appreciate it. Um, so. Um, March 3rd, the afternoon of March 3rd, is at EduBloggerCon, the uh, social media unconference for educators. March 4th through 6th at Palm Springs with Dave as a spotlight speaker. Also, Q Unplugged during the 4th through the 6th. Uh, if you haven't spoken at a conference before and want a chance to, go to QUnplugged.com. Um, Dave, thanks again.
2: Thank you, Dave. Oh, thank you for everyone that participated.
0: My the
1: other enjoy. point I was just going to throw out as I shared it in chat, but you mentioned Young Zhao. We, we were thrilled to, to have him accept as our keynote speaker uh, at the Leadership 3.0 Symposium that Q hosts with AXA. And it's going to be April 15th through 17th this, this year. And it'll be at the Santa Clara Marriott. Uh, I put the uh, URL in there, but it's lead3.org. So for those of you that were uh, listening to him yesterday, that may be uh, uh, an opportunity for you. We don't yet know whether we can capture that keynote and post it on the web. But if we can, we'll certainly ask and, and do that for the Q membership as well as the AXA membership out there. Um, but, uh, but it seems like there might be some linkages. But Dave, it's been great hearing your voice again. And I'm, I'm absolutely thrilled to get to share your, your wisdom and expertise with uh, the Q audience and make sure that they're aware of what, uh, what's happening in the, in the exciting world of UDL.
0: Yes. Thanks, Dave. Thanks, Mike. Really, really appreciate your uh, doing this. A lot of fun to participate with Q in this way. Uh, Marsh is asking, will the presentation be archived? Yes. Within an hour, it will be up on the futureofeducation.com site. And by tomorrow, the MP3 file and the chat log will be up as well. So thanks for joining us. Go ahead. If I could
1: jump in, Steve, I got I got a little bit of exciting news here that uh I, I think would be a perfect opportunity to share at this moment if we could. Um for those of you that, that are aware, Q has a series of awards that we offer to our members and to friends and colleagues that are working in this ed- educational technology space. And Steve Harganon, as you all well know, is a champion in that space. Uh, He was nominated by one of Q's affiliates for an award, and uh, until this moment, he was not yet aware whether he had gotten that award, and I'm thrilled to uh, be able to report that uh, uh, Steve will, in fact, be uh, Q's winner of the Technology and Learning Leadership Award, and we'll be acknowledging him in Palm Springs. There's a letter that's winging its way towards you, Steve, with this wonderful news, but I'd much rather share it with you in person. So congrats, Steve. You're certainly deserving, and it's nice to be able to recognize you in this way.
0: Oh, that's a lot of fun, Mike. I, I don't even quite know what to say. I don't want to steal Dave's thunder, but it's um, appreciated. And uh, and th- thank you for considering me. And I really appreciate it. And Dave, thanks for coming on tonight. Uh, you've helped educate me, and I really appreciate it. And uh, um, we'll look forward to seeing you at Q. Thanks, everybody, for coming tonight.
3: Thank you, Steve. Thanks, everyone. Thanks, Mike.
0: Thank you. OK, so Dave, feel free just to log off. Um, if anybody would like to stick around for a few minutes, we'll have a post-show chat. But uh, I, I actually personally don't have too much time tonight. Uh, but we'll do that for a couple of minutes. Uh, when you are done, just go ahead and close the window down or click File and Exit.
1: I right, like you, I've got to head out. Uh, family's eating dinner. So thank you again, Steve, for making the, making the time available.
0: Thanks, Mike. Thank you, Dave. Take care, all. Thanks. Bye, guys. Thanks for coming, Greg. Always fun to have you here. Leonard, we didn't hear much from you, but uh, saw that you were there. I'm going to turn the recording off.